The concept is that by giving you a substance that you're allergic or sensitive to at a specific concentration, it starts to build your immune tolerance. And instead of making you worse, it starts to make you better. So if you think about what allergy is as a whole, it's an overreaction of your immune system. So what we're really trying to do is retrain your immune system to stop overreacting to your world. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like this show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. Today we are joined by Dr. Darren Ingalls and we're talking all about utilizing low-dose immunotherapy or LDI to treat autoimmunity, Lyme disease, and other inflammatory conditions. This may be one of my favorite episodes yet. Dr. Darren Ingalls is a licensed naturopathic physician, author, international speaker, and leading authority on Lyme disease. He is a former Lyme patient who overcame his three-year battle with Lyme disease after having failed conventional treatments that progressively left him feeling debilitated. Dr. Ingalls found that through proper diet, lifestyle management, and natural therapies, he was able to heal his body and fully recover. He then applied what he learned about his own healing journey to his Lyme patients and found they recovered faster and with fewer side effects. Dr. Ingalls has now treated more than 8,000 Lyme patients using his novel approach, many of whom have gone on to live happy, healthy, symptom-free lives. Not only is Dr. Ingalls an encyclopedia of information, but he is probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I highly recommend that you listen to the end because this episode is chock full of valuable information. Let's jump in and get started. Well, hi, Darren. Thank you so much for joining me on the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I have been looking forward to this conversation for many weeks, and I'm just excited to pick your brain. Oh, well, thank you, Seth. I really appreciate you having me on the, the podcast today. Absolutely. Well, today's topic is about LDI, low-dose immunotherapy. And, but before we jump into uh, today's topic, I'd love for uh, our listeners just to learn a little bit more about you and your background and really what inspired you to get involved with naturopathic medicine. Gosh, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, basically, I was a clinical microbiologist. I was working at a large teaching hospital in Chicago or outside of Chicago, and uh, I did, you know, microbiology testing, and uh, I kind of got the bug to become a doctor. And, uh, you know, really through kind of some personal experiences with uh, my ex-wife at the time, who had a lot of health issues, I was kind of seeing how she was being treated. She had suffered from migraines and endometriosis, and conventional medicine really didn't have good solutions. 
And of course, working in a hospital setting, I was also kind of seeing on what was going on in the hospital system. And it just seemed like a lot of the humanity of medicine was really being taken out. It was really about patient volume and not necessarily, you know, looking at the root cause of, of illness. And we were fortunate to have come across someone who did cranial sacral therapy, who really helped, you know, her migraines and ultimately put us in contact with an acupuncturist. And it was the acupuncturist that told me about naturopathic medicine. And as I started looking into it, I'm like, wow, there are actually doctors out there that are really interested in, you know, getting at the root cause and they're not interested in just treating symptoms. In addition, wow, they look at diet, they look at herbs and homeopathy and lifestyle and, and all these things that just, I don't know, made sense to me. It's not really about just suppressing the system. It's about, you know, what works with your body to like really heal. So it was just kind of a combination of, you know, personal professional experience. And just, you know, seeing the changes that she went through, it just, and it just made so much sense. So I, I, I had applied to you know, be an MD or a DO. And uh, actually the first year I got uh, waitlisted. It's just life was supposed to happen. That wasn't my path. And then I applied to naturopathic medical school and got in. So I went to Bastyr University in Seattle and I've now been in practice for 23 years, and my practice focuses on Lyme disease, multiple sclerosis, other autoimmune diseases. So, you know, having had this background as a microbiologist has really helped my clinical practice because, you know, I really understand how, you know, different microbes can impact your body, the immune system beyond just, you know, the cold and the flu and other types of infections people get. But, you know, these bugs can really become immune triggers. And we see, you know, particularly so much autoimmune disease that these organisms offer are often are a factor in, you know, a con a contributing to the development of these illnesses. So again, if we're really interested in getting at the root cause, you know, this is an important part of, you know, our total workup of understanding, you know, is there an underlying microbe that's playing a part? So, you know, that's kind of led me to where I am today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that is a perfect segue uh, into today's topic about low-dose immunotherapy or LDI. Do you mind just starting off by giving us a rundown? I know you have a lot of experience with this. You know, what is LDI and, and just how does it work? Yeah, so low-dose immunotherapy was developed by Dr. Ty Vinson out of Kona, Hawaii, formerly of Anchorage, Alaska. And there's another therapy called LDA, low-dose allergy therapy, which is another way to treat people for like regular allergies, mold, pollen, dust, animal danders, and so forth. And LDA was actually developed back in the 1960s by an ENT surgeon named Dr. Len McEwen. He was out of the UK. And then somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s, a Dr. Butch Schrader, who had studied with Dr. McEwen, started bringing it over to the U.S. and using it here. And then, of course, the FDA pitched a fit that we were importing stuff from the U.K. So they basically had to reformulate it, rebrand it. So it was then called LDA or low-dose allergy therapy. But the concept is that by giving you a substance that you're allergic or sensitive to at a specific concentration, it starts to build your immune tolerance. And instead of making you worse, it starts to make you better. So if you think about what allergy is as a whole, it's an overreaction of your immune system. So what we're really trying to do is retrain your immune system to stop overreacting to your world. Now, if you go to a conventional allergist, they'll do skin prick testing, they'll do blood tests, and they'll identify if you're having an allergic reaction to, you know, a food or mold or whatever. But they're only looking at it from what's called immunoglobulin E or IgE. And this is a part of your immune system that we typically associate with acute allergic reactions or anaphylactic reactions. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of other immune mechanisms involved in, you know, allergy or sensitivity. 
So the beauty of LDA was that, you know, it was a way of treating a lot of different types of allergens, but because the dilutions are so dilute, it doesn't provoke people generally in a negative way. So Dr. Vincent had been, you know, using LDA in his practice and having good clinical results. And it just kind of dawned on him that's like, wow, you know, for some people, the immune reaction to strep or staph or Lyme or candida or whatever this bug might be is really the same mechanism as someone was allergic to, you know, pollen or mold or dust. So why can't we apply the same principles and develop a therapy that targets the organism as the antigen instead of, you know, pollen or mold? And so he, I think strep was the very first thing that he used. And he had a patient that had a, sort of an autoimmune reaction to strep and they responded very well to the treatment. And then from there, it just kind of grew. That's like, well, let's start getting in the literature and you can find that you know, numerous organisms are associated with all sorts of illnesses. And particularly again, in the autoimmune disease world, you know, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, we know that Epstein-Barr and Klebsiella and Lyme and all these other things, again, can become immune triggers. So, you know, it's, in concept, it's really quite simple. In practicality, there are some nuances to it, but it, it really the idea behind it, you know, again, if you go to the allergist and you're allergic to dust or ragweed, you go in every week and they give you a shot of dust or ragweed. Again, they're giving you the thing that you're allergic or sensitive to, and in time it builds tolerance. So I think of LDI as being something very similar, but because the dilutions are so much weaker, it's not just pure physiology. There's probably some elements, you know, almost like in homeopathy that we call, you know, whatever, bioresonant or energetic medicine that seems to play a role in it because some of these dilutions are really, really, really dilute. And I don't think physiology by itself explains it. But again, you know, having done this now for, I believe it's now been maybe seven or eight years since it came out. We've had numerous patients that have responded really well to the treatment and particularly for someone who's got a chronic infection like Lyme disease, you know, you can treat the bug till the cows come home, but if your immune system is treating this organism like, again, an allergen instead of a pathogen, even if there's small amounts of that organism present, it can still, you know, stimulate your immune system in a negative way. And again, you start to get these clinical effects. I, I think another you know, way I think of it too is like, if you look what's happened with the pandemic and COVID, you know, SARS-CoV-2 didn't kill anybody. It wasn't the virus. It was the immune reaction to the virus that put people in the hospital and killed people. So, you know, the organism by itself isn't always the problem. It's the way our immune system responds to the organism. And, you know, if you think about Lyme or, you know, even with COVID, it's like, how could you have some people that get no symptoms, another percentage of people that get very mild symptoms, and other people it's deadly and life-threatening. If it's the same bug, you know, what's the difference? I mean, the difference, I think, is the, the, the individual person, the terrain, and how someone's immune system responds to that. So, you know, LDI has become a really interesting and often useful tool as a way, as an immune modulator to help stop or downregulate that inflammatory response that these organisms can trigger. That's awesome. That's a great explanation. And it's, it's interesting because we, you know, we all learned that in school, right? How a lot of these infections are, are associated with some of these different autoimmune conditions, but that was kind of where it ended, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah, well, you know, this happens, it triggers this, and then there's really nothing you can do about it. So the fact that now we've got some different tools to, to really, you know, tackle that, that problem is just, is, is just awesome. And it really can, uh, you know, leave a lot of people with some hope for sure. Well, you know, there's a concept in immunology called molecular mimicry. 
And what that means is that there's a molecule on the micro, whether it's a virus, a bacteria, a fungus, a parasite, that looks something very similar to our own tissue. So as your immune system amps up to fight the infection, it just accidentally starts attacking your own tissue. You know, strep is a great example because every healthcare person in the world learns at some point that strep can cause rheumatic heart disease or rheumatic fever. It is not the infection that's the problem. Again, it's the immune or autoimmune reaction that the infection causes. And since strep is such a common bacteria that most, if not all of us, have been exposed to, the idea that you're never going to get exposed to strep again is just not practical, yet it becomes so inflammatory for some people. Absolutely. And that, that molecular mimicry, that's not just with bugs, right? That same concept can happen with, you know, other antigens that we'll talk about today, you know, with, with foods and mold and pollen. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, when the immune system gets confused, you know, if you think about your immune system, of course, it's horribly complex. And I think, you know, we're just scratching the surface of really being able to understand how it all interacts. But, you know, you've got part of your immune system that really targets specific things. It says, I know this is staph. I know this is strep. I know this is something that doesn't belong. But you got this other part of your immune system that says, I don't know what you are, but I know you're not me and you're not part of self. And therefore, I'm going to make a reaction. And often it's that non-specific part of our immune system that really gets us in trouble. So again, if there's a way to balance out our immune system and sort of churn off that non-specific response, again, I think we give our immune system a better chance to like stop overreacting. Absolutely. That's great. Well, how is LDI administered? How are people taking this? So LDI is administered. So any doctor that's doing it in their uh, office, you know, we're the ones that supply the patients with it. So it's not like you have to go to CVS and buy it. And uh, we draw it up in generally an insulin syringe because the dose we're administering is really only about a drop and a half-ish. And so, you know, insulin syringes, because you can drop such small volumes, it makes it easy. And then, you know, we ultimately administer it under the tongue. And in terms of what's in it, because I know everyone's thinking, well, what's in it? And so basically it's dead bug. So, you know, these microbes are all irradiated. They can't reproduce, they can't cause infection, but it maintains all the little bits and pieces of the bug that we need to help our immune system start to change. And then we mix it with an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. So beta-glucuronidase is an enzyme that's naturally found in your white blood cells. Uh, again, it's not something your body's never seen before. But Dr. McEwen, when he was developing LDA, found that this enzyme played an important role in modulating the immune system. Now, in saying that, if you ever watch Dr. Vincent on any of his YouTube videos, he will tell you that he stopped using beta-glucuronidase years ago. And so he doesn't feel like it's really an important part of the mix. You know, we've continued to use it in our practice. Again, I, I, I think it does help. You know, we all have our own different experiences. So whether the antigen alone is enough to change your immune system or whether you need the enzyme, I suppose it depends on the practitioner. But we've chosen because this is the way it's been done for, you know, 60 years is using the enzyme. But again, the concept as you using it as an immune modulator really is kind of the same. Yeah, it's such like I said, it's such an interesting concept, just the whole the concept of LDI and how it works is. There's just, it's such a teeny tiny dose. Like you said, I, I agree. I think there's some kind of energetic component. There has to be, because like you said, I mean, when you're, when you're out to 20, 30 C, the, the, how that has a physical response is, is really just, I just, I can't understand it. Well, if anyone ever took high school chemistry, you know, you learn this thing called Avogadro's number. And for those who don't remember or never learned it, Avogadro's number is the point at which you dilute something out 
to the extent that there's nothing, there's no molecule left in it. So if I put salt in a glass of water and then I take, you know, one drop of that glass and I put in another glass of water, that dilutes out the salt. Then I put in another glass of water, dilutes out more. You know, keep doing that, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 times. Well, when you get to six times 10 to the negative 23rd, that's Avogadro's number. And that's the point where there's no actual substance, no measurable molecule left at all. Well, that happens at a 12C potency. So in some cases, and for again, for people who aren't in the know, 1C is a one to 100 dilution. A 2C is a one to 1,000 dilution. A 3C is a one to 10,000. So each 1C is an exponent of 100. So by the time you get to 12C, 12C is Avogadro's number. So anything higher than a 12C, means there's no actual substance left in it. So this has sort of always been the debate with homeopathy. When you give a 30C, a 200C, you know, conventional doctors will say, well, there's, you're just giving them placebo. There's nothing in it. And, you know, it's very hard to prove because uh, clinically, you know, homeopathy has been used for hundreds of years and they've got studies on animals where there is no placebo effect. So there seems to be some other physiological effect. And again, I think if you start looking at some of the science on cell biology and quorum sensing and cell to cell communication, you know, we know that our water pathways, I mean, the fact that we have so much water in our body, it's mostly to give us form, but they've also found it's a super highway of cell to cell communication. So it could very well be that a lot of what's happening is happening at this very subtle electrical level that we can't easily measure. But it, it makes sense because, you know, you step in a bathtub with a, a, a toaster, get, you'll get electrocuted very quickly. Why? Because water is a great conductor of electricity. So it makes a lot of sense that, you know, the water in our body allows for cell to cell communication very, very rapidly, faster than hormones, faster than other chemicals that take time to move throughout the body. So it could very well be that things like homeopathy and acupuncture and some of these other therapies where we have a hard time really kind of understanding what the physiological mechanism is. And I think LDI to a degree kind of works in that same realm. Absolutely. I feel like sometimes in the conventional world, when we can't explain things you know, I guess logically it gets dismayed or poo-pooed, you know, but there's just like things like this. We've seen it work. We see the effect. Again, it gets blamed on placebo, but people, it's changing people's lives, whether it's acupuncture or LDI or any of these other components that we can't really fully under comprehend or explain the, the exact mechanism of, but just because it, you know, what matters is does it work or does it work? And is it safe? You know, does it work? Does it not work? Right. Is it safe? Well, that is really what matters. <laughs> I think as clinicians, you and I both know, you know, the proof is in the pudding, no matter what you're doing, whatever therapy you're instituting, you know, if you see good clinical response, you know what you're doing is working. And, and it's funny when you talk about placebo effect, I think it's important for people listening. That's not a bad thing. I, I, I trained with an old school doctor who said, look, if you can tap into the placebo effect, you just tapped into the body's greatest healing power. power. So, you know, I, I think it's way beyond placebo effect, but Nonetheless, if we can get people behind their treatment and believe that what they're doing is helping and healing their body, great. But I think there's so much more to these therapies than just placebo effect, but certainly that, that, that helps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, how often are people needing to, to take LDI? Is it something that they're doing every day or, you know, once a week? Do you mind telling the listeners a little bit about just the application? 
Well, initially when people start with LDI, you know, we're always trying to figure out what's the right antigen and what's the right dilution. So often there is a period, it can be anywhere from a month to sometimes even six months for complicated cases to really hone in on what's the right antigen, what's the right dilution. Because we might have blood tests or a stool test or an organic acid test that says, okay, we see that you've been exposed to Lyme or you've got a really high strep titer or you've got yeast markers that are through the roof. That gives us clues to what we might need to use but it doesn't prove how much each of these individual antigens actually impact the way you feel. And in many cases, we find it's often not just one antigen, you know, where you might need Lyme and Candida, Lyme and Clostridia, Clostridia and Strep. So it's not uncommon that we're mixing and matching different antigens depending on what we think is the trigger. And I know that Dr. Vincent does a little bit different than I think a lot of us others where he'll tend to start at lower dilutions, the, the downside to this therapy, I should say the big downside to this therapy is that if you have the right antigen and the wrong dilution, what that means is that if, you know, strep is the right bug, but I give you too strong of a dose, it can make your symptoms worse. And in some cases they get a lot worse. So, you know, I've sort of approached this with, you know, starting at dilutions, I think may not do anything. And then we kind of work our way up as we feel like you tolerate. And, you know, my practice is a lot of highly sensitive individuals. I know this. So I'd rather go in with kid gloves and we have this conversation saying, look, we're going to start you at a 20 C. Your ideal dose might be 16 C. It might be 14 C. So there might be some time to get to that target dose. But if I do it that way, I'm not likely to aggravate any of your symptoms. Where if I went in at an 8 C, you flare. Well, now I've made you worse. So now you're mad at me that your symptoms are worse. Now, the good news when there's flares, though, is we've now kind of proven that's part of what your problem is. So now we just need to find the right dilution that's going to help kind of turn off those reactions instead of provoking you. So I know that Dr. Vincent now, he basically will give lower potencies. He wants to almost kind of see an aggravation because it's now proving that that's part of the problem. So before going through, you know, a series of dilutions, let's prove it's part of the problem first. So again, it's not right or wrong. It's just different. And uh, again, most of the patients I work with would prefer not to have an aggravation. So we tend to start on the weaker dilutions and kind of work down as people tolerate. And I kind of think of like a drug too. If you think 100 milligrams of a drug is the target dose, you start them at 20 milligrams, then go to 25 and then 50. You know, you increase it incrementally as you feel like they're tolerating. You know, if you do the math on it between each 1C dilution, it's statistically a 1% difference. It's a 1% increase. So if we go from a, a 20C to a 19C to an 18, each 1C is really just a 1% difference. So that small incremental change is often enough that we can start to see the improvement. But if there is, you know, an aggravation, it's not going to be nearly as bad as if we had jumped, you know, three or 4C at a time. So, you know, there are some nuances to this therapy where, you know, again, it takes potentially some time to figure out the right antigen, the right dilution. But, you know, boy, once you, you hone in on that, Sometimes it's it, it makes just a world of difference. Awesome. So in the initial titration phase, are you typically doing that every ten days? Is where you're reassessing and, and tweaking yeah, the dose. If we if we give a dose and nothing changes at all, no symptoms change, then ten days later we can move to the next dilution. So if I start you at a Lyme twenty C, ten days later none of my symptoms have changed at all. Great. Let's go down to nineteen C. Ten days later, no change. We'll give eighteen C, and we'll keep working down every ten days. Now, if you get any element of improvement, and I find when people first start the therapy, it's not uncommon that they get improvement, but it doesn't last very long. People will have, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, sometimes a little longer, like, wow, 
I have this nice honeymoon period where my symptoms have gotten a lot better and in some cases go away completely, but then they regress and they go back and they go, oh, well, it didn't work. Well, no, it did work. It just didn't last. So that tells me that's the right dilution. And what often happens is, okay, the first time we give it, you got better for two, three days. The second time we give it, you got better for a week. The third time we give it, you got better for two weeks. So often with each subsequent dose, we'll see that benefit last longer and longer. So, you know, once you find the target dose, typically it's given every seven weeks. And the reason we give it every seven weeks is that it takes that long for new T cells to come into your immune system. So we're always kind of retraining a new recruit of T cells with that antigen. You know, it's kind of like boot camp, right? In the military, every seven weeks, new recruit comes in, put them through the same basic training. We're kind of doing the same thing with your immune system because obviously your cells aren't all changing at the same time. So we're constantly training that new recruit of T cells to stop overreacting, stop overreacting, and then hopefully get to that point where your immune system stops overreacting. Do you ever see people to where they, they, they're on it for, you know, for a year or two or maybe more, and then they get to where they don't need it or they, they, they yeah. need a dose every cup, you know, maybe every six months as opposed to every seven weeks. Yeah. Once in a blue moon. I mean, you know, it's, it's rare, but I've had some one and done. We give people one wow. dose one time, their symptoms got better. They never came back and I never needed to give another dose again, but that's, that's why I put the asterisk where, you know, results not typical. More <laughs> often than not, people need multiple doses. And I tell people it could be, you know, a year, it could be two years, it could be longer. It depends on, you know, how many different antigens we're dealing with. And of course, inevitably, if we're doing LDI with folks, we're usually doing a bunch of other stuff too. We're still working on your diet, your nutrition, your sleep, your terrain. We're using other things to help with leaky gut and mold toxicity. So often it's used in combination with a lot of other therapies to get your body healthier. So sometimes it can be a little bit more challenging to delineate, you know, what, what factor is, is making a difference. So I really try to do LDI when everything else is kind of the same. Like, look, if we're going to do LDI, let's not, whatever supplements you're on, just stay on. Don't change them. Don't change the dose. Just so we can be crystal clear on how your body's reacting with the LDI dose. Because when people are doing a bunch of therapies all at the same time, if I don't know what you did made you better or worse, I don't know if that's the right dilution for you. If I need to go up, I need to go down. Should we repeat it? So, you know, people need to be really mindful when they're doing LDI that you got to be a good record keeper. You got to write down when you took it especially over the next five days, you know, how did you feel? And again, that gives us a lot of information about whether we need to make an adjustment to that particular dose. Awesome. And so any other, I mean, other than the, the, what you mentioned where people can flare if the dose is too strong, but that might be a good thing. And knowing that you're on the right uh, antigen, is there any other contraindications or major side effects that you know, people should know about? No, I mean, there, the contraindications I say are relative. Like if someone is on steroids where their immune system is being suppressed if they're on any other type of like immune modulating drug it might be harder to do so like i have some people who are getting intravenous immunoglobulin for pans and we have to we can still use it but we have to be careful about the timing of when they get their infusion because we know it's going to modulate their immune system and again if i give the ldi around their infusion it's just hard to know uh what's what so there's very few cases where we just can't use it at all. I think, you know, where we, we, we say it's not appropriate. Again, if people are on high dose steroids, we at least need to be down on lower doses. There may be some medications where we just want to wait. Look, you know, I've had some people where we've cycled through different antigens, different dilutions, and nothing really just changed at all. 
So like every other therapy, I suppose, there's no guarantee that this is going to be the magic, but I certainly had plenty of patients where it was the difference after having been on antimicrobial therapy, antibiotics, herbs, diet changes, other factors that really never made a dent. Uh, I'll just share quickly uh, a patient of mine in Florida. She has Lyme disease and her husband's a doctor. And ironically, I think he's a neurosurgeon and uh, he, you know, of course, he doesn't really understand Lyme, but, you know, she had all these problems and she went through, you know, Lyme treatment. She'd been through antibiotics initially. It didn't help her much. And then she was put on herbs. She got better, but still had a lot of joint pain. And then I gave her LDI. And I think within 24 hours, her joint pain was almost completely gone. Now, she did need a few other doses after that, but she was really able to sustain her symptoms for a very long time with LDI. And so, you know, again, sometimes you hit the nail on the head and it really shifts the immune system quickly and in the direction that we want that it just downregulates this inflammatory response and symptomatically, you know, whether it's joint pain, brain inflammation, gut issues, you know, any number of these things can change again when you hit the right target. That's awesome. What, what that's, she must've been just thrilled when, after going through that, you know, that, that whole rigmarole, like most people do. Right. And that's just a perfect example of the uh, different strokes for different folks, right? One, what's going to work for one person may not work for an, another. And a lot of people you see, you know, they, they go to these clinics for, you know, even Lyme literate clinics and they're given all these antibiotics and they, they sometimes feel worse than they did initially. And, and that's where they have, you have to really think outside of the box and look at some alternative options that may be more effective. Well, I think particularly with Lyme disease, this this is one of the pitfalls of Lyme treatment that no knock against anyone out there treating Lyme. My hat's off to everyone in the, right. the pit because it's it's tough for everybody. But I think when the treatment solely focuses on killing the bug or, you know, the co-infection, you know, we're really missing the boat and we're shortchanging people because there's so many other things going on that lead to chronic illness and chronic infection. So again, if you're not dealing with gut health and diet, and toxin exposure, all of these things add to your body's load that makes it harder for your body to deal with Lyme disease. But this fact that, you know, we know from the research, you know, that Lyme is a catalyst for immune dysfunction. And that even if you're successful at eradicating the organism, you're still gonna be left with the immune mess. So you gotta do something to clean up the immune mess. Could I see people again, who've never had an allergy a day in their life. And then after they get Lyme, now they have food sensitivities. They're allergic to pollen and mold and they're just kind of an allergic mess and they are histamine intolerant. You know, where did all this come from? Well, again, I think, you know, Lyme just becomes a catalyst for that. And again, many other microbes do that as well. So, you know, it, we, we need to look beyond just killing the bug and we need to take these other steps to, you know, fix the terrain and really help modulate the immune system. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of right now, at least in our area, and I'm sure in work with a lot of patients in Texas and they deal with this all year long, but is, is, you know, allergies. I mean, beyond the, the micro component, do you see a lot of success with, you know, the mixes that are working on uh, environmental allergies or chemical sensitivities or even food intolerances? Yeah. You know, again, LDA is a therapy we use. We use other types of immunotherapy for people that have straight up like more conventional allergies. Yeah. The concept is the same though. Again, we're still trying to modulate the way the immune system reacts to, you know, food and dust and cat and dog and feathers and mold and pollen. So again, if you get control over your immune system, I mean, just think of it as load. You know, your body's a big bucket or a big barrel. And as each 
sensitivity stacks on top of each other, it makes you potentially more sensitive to other things. So if you've got food sensitivities and mold and pollen and lime and everything else, it just keeps adding up. It's like Jenga, right? You know, you keep stacking the blocks and eventually they, you know, fall over. So as we get a toehold on each aspect, your immune tolerance gets better and better. You know, I, I lived in Connecticut for almost 20 years and I can remember I would see people in the dead of winter where there was no pollen at all and we would deal with their food sensitivities and then come spring when the trees would pop, They'd say, wow, you know, my spring allergies are really not bad at all. And we never did anything for their spring allergies. Why were they so much better? Because we got their food under better control, their load came down, and therefore they were less reactive to other things in their world. So I always think of the immune system just being this big blob, and there's all these little factors that irritate the immune system. So that's why, you know, I think, you know, when we're looking at LDI, that's one part of immunotherapy. But yeah, it's still really important to look at other immune triggers and whether it's, you know, food or environmental. And if we get control of those aspects, we're giving that person better immune control overall. Absolutely. So, so will you tell us a little bit, tell our listeners a little bit about like the conventional approach to autoimmunity? You know, autoimmunity is huge. You know, and, and autoimmunity for, the, for our listeners, just essentially when your immune system starts to attack your own cells inappropriately, which, you know, can get la- a variety of different labels, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, Sjogren's, you know, there's a million of them out there. But what does the conventional treatment for autoimmunity look like? And and, uh, you know, what, what is that missing? I you're you pretty much already said what's missing, but I'd love just for you to recap that because I think that's so important what you just well, said. You know, if you go to a rheumatologist, neurologist, you know, endocrinologist, people that are looking at various aspects of autoimmune disease, it's basically how do we suppress the immune system? We know that it's an overexpression of the immune system. So if you look, I think rheumatology being sort of the experts in autoimmune disease, you know, the therapies are in some way I want to say modulating the immune system. It's just flat out suppressing it. If we suppress specific immune cells, immune pathways, again, that is a way of stopping the inflammation. And the inflammation is ultimately what causes damage to our body. So whether they're on anti-inflammatories, steroids, what we call DMDs or disease-modifying drugs, and there are many, many, many of those that do various things. But ultimately, it's like, let's just shut down the immune system. And I think for your and my perspective, it's like, well, there may be a point where that might be necessary if, you know, the train is so out of control and you're spiraling quickly and your tissue damage is extensive, just having trouble functioning, you may need one of these drugs, at least temporarily, until we feel like we have better control of your symptoms. But uh, overall, I think our goal is really, again, there's something that's triggering the immune system to go awry. What is it? And it's funny because, again, if you ask any, you know, specialist, okay, I've got a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis or MS or lupus. Why? You know, they're all going to shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know, bad luck, bad gene, (laughs) eat the wrong food. I don't know. Uh, There's really not a good explanation. And I'm like, well, but we've got all this evidence in the literature that microbes can be a trigger. Is it possible that Lyme is a cause of lupus or rheumatoid arthritis? We just had a study that came out a couple of weeks ago. It was all over, you know, the the news about Epstein-Barr as a trigger for MS. And we've known this for a very long time. And yet Epstein-Barr is a virus that, you know, most adults come in contact with and have in their body. So again, is it the virus is the problem or is it the way our body is interacting with the virus? So we, we still have so much to learn about understanding how these microbes trigger our immune system because potentially that'll give us a way to help stop that mechanism from happening. But in the meantime, there's still a lot we can do to help support everyone's body to deal with these different microbes in a healthier way so they don't end up causing more tissue damage. 
So one of, one of the questions I get a lot is, you know, if I'm doing LDI therapy and I do get an acute infection, like I'm, you know, I'm doing a Lyme mix and then, you know, I get Lyme disease from an acute tick bite, you know, is that going to set me up for having a weaker immune system or having problems? What, what do you, how do you typically respond to that? Well, I think for acute infection, again, you know, getting sick is part of being human. We're all going to experience at some point. Right. By and large, our immune systems are fairly resilient and we handle it appropriately. But if it becomes more of a chronic situation, that's why I worry more about this disposition towards autoimmunity. And again, a lot of things that cause autoimmunity are part of us. You know, Klebsiella is a bacteria that lives in your gut. It's part of you. You're never not going to have Klebsiella. So again, why is it that that bacteria can cause ankylosing spondylitis or rheumatoid arthritis. So the idea that, well, if we just kill the bug, we'll be fine. And again, it's a little bit deeper than that. So that's probably beyond the extent of what we can cover today, but <laughs> it's really kind of, again, looking at each person's terrain, you know, diet, environmental lifestyle factors that all contribute to that. You know, that's how we ultimately change, you know, epigenetic expression of certain genes that again, might dispose towards more chronic illness. Right. I just love what you were saying about, you know, I think that's such an important point for people to recognize is there's never one magic bullet out there, you know, especially when you're dealing with something complex like chronic infections or autoimmunity. I mean, you have to fix the gut. You have to eat the right foods. You have to manage your stress. You have to sleep. You have to look at that whole picture and look at all of those potential triggers. You know, we, I'm sure you've seen a lot. I've had multiple patients come in and then, you know, for they've been treated for three years for Lyme disease. And they're living in a moldy environment. So you remove yeah. the mold and then their symptoms get better. You know, and again, I love that analogy. It's just like that blob, you know, you're trying to reduce that load. And once you do, a lot of times the immune system will do what it's supposed to and, and your body will heal. Well, you know, I say this to my patients all the time. I mean, it's true. It's like, you know, it is built into our DNA to heal. Our body has that wisdom. You know, if you cut your finger, the skin knows to repair itself so you don't bleed out. You know, when we get damaged, you know, our body has built-in mechanisms to repair that damage. But, you know, often there's something getting in the way of that natural process from happening. So is it infection? Is it toxicity? Is it trauma? Again, there's so many different explanations of why people don't get well. And again, our job, our side of the desk is to help navigate that for you so we can explore those different areas and see, you know, where are you stuck? Absolutely. Well, that's great. An excellent explanation of that all. So do you, do you want to tell us the, your top five LDI mixes? What are the top, your go-tos that you see the most improvement with, you know, in what conditions are they, are you tackling, you know, with those specific mixes? Yeah. I mean, the ones that we use over and over that I find the best clinical results, uh, we have a Lyme mix and the Lyme mix is actually Lyme and a lot of the tick-borne co-infections. So Bartonella, Babesia, Anaplasma, Ehrlichia, and so forth. A strep, Clostridia mycoplasma and candida. Awesome. And those so are the, the ones we see the most, I, I see the most in my practice and certainly the ones that seem to have the biggest impact. And again, you know, obviously for people with chronic Lyme disease, chronic infection, right. the candida mix, I've seen help people with brain fog, women with chronic, you know, urinary tract infections, interstitial cystitis responds beautifully. Uh, we have a Klebsiella mix that's worked really well for people with rheumatoid arthritis. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, been remarkable, uh, again, for a lot of folks when you hit the right, the right antigen 
what a difference it makes. And because it can happen so quickly, I think that's what kind of throws people off is that, you know, a lot of therapies out there take days, weeks, months before you really feel the difference. And if you've been feeling terrible for a long time and you put this, you know, couple of drops into your tongue and a couple of days later, you know, your pain's gone or at least gone down a lot and your brain's clearer, it's shocking for people. It's like, no, that just seems too easy. But sometimes it is. I mean, I, I can speak from my own personal experience. I mean, I took the Lyme antigen. For me, it never really made much of a difference. But that was years after I'd already been through my Lyme treatment. But I still had some brain fog. And I took the Candida mix. And literally 24 hours, the brain fog was gone. And I have not had a problem really since. Wow. And I have multiple sclerosis. You know, part of MS is often you get some sort of cognitive problem. My fiance might tell you otherwise, but I feel like my <laughs> cognition is pretty good. And, uh, but yeah, the candida really made a big difference for me and just, you know, mental clarity and sharpness. I mean, it was within, you know, 24 hours of taking it. Do you still do the candida mix or? or I haven't needed it. Yeah, that's awesome. I haven't needed it. So. That's awesome. Well, any other good patient success stories you can share real quick? I know, I know you've probably got a million of them. Well, one of my favorite stories is that we inherited a practice from a doctor that retired who practiced for 50 years. And he had a, a boy he had seen when he was three with autism. And by the time we took over the practice, this young man is now 20 years old or maybe 21. And he's, you know, six foot, almost six foot five. He's 280 pounds, you know, nice kid, but very minimal language. And, uh, you know, kind of what they call a happy Baba. He's just a happy kid, but he's not, he's not terribly functional. And because he has minimal language, you know, that impairs a lot of aspects of his life. And we started doing combination LDI. So we did the Lyme mix. We did mycoplasma. We did candida. We did strep. And in about a year to a year and a half, he became fully conversational. Wow. To the point where he, on his own, picked up the phone, called another friend of his with autism, invited him to go see Alvin and the Chipmunks at the movie theater. Uh -huh. And the two of them went to the theater, had a great time. And again, just to be able to get him conversational. And he eventually got a job working at Trader Joe's. And it's just, you know, I don't know he's ever going to be independent, but the fact that his quality of life is so much better. And I think a lot of time too, you know, with autism in particular, we think about the brain being at a point where it hardwires. And that if we don't, if we don't get things done early in life, we miss that window. And here's someone at 2021 really started to develop language. So I think it speaks a lot to, you know, neuroplasticity and how flexible our brain and our bodies are, even at that age. So he's one of my favorite cases of LDI, just showing that, you know, it's never too late to make a change in the body. And here, I think the parents have kind of resolved that this is what I've I've got for the rest of my life. And now this young man is, you know, just his, his whole life has changed dramatically. As a parent, I can't even imagine just how, you know, thrilled they must have been or just, it, I mean, essentially it's like a miracle, right? I'm seeing a, a, your child talk after all that time. It's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I and Darren, you've been absolutely amazing at explaining this and helping people understand just all of the benefits of LDI and, you know, and if, if for our listeners, who are out there and haven't read Darren's book, I would highly, highly recommend it. You can pick it up. Darren, do you mind telling us a little bit about your uh, Sure. It's called The Lime Solution, and it's available on Amazon and every other major book retailer. So it's really, I think, 
my personal experience as a Lyme patient and then everything I've applied to, you know, now having treated over 8,000 Lyme patients. So it's really a step-by-step guide for people to walk you through. So hopefully you have a practitioner you're working with like myself or Seth that can give you that guidance on where to go. But if you're in an area where you don't have a, a local practitioner, there's a lot you can do yourself. There's only one chapter in that entire book that's on immunotherapy that you really need a practitioner for guidance. Everything else in there is something you can do for yourself. Awesome. And I know you have a uh, Lyme disease master class coming up at, in May. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how patient, how people can get involved? Yeah, so uh, it's going to be a at least an eight-week. It might be a 12-week module. We're still deciding. This is a course I actually developed for doctors, but we realized that I realized Lyme patients are so savvy that I can talk to them the same way I talk to doctors. They do their research. They're really well-educated on it. So basically... I've got a series of videos that people will have access to. We're going to do some live Q&A as part of the masterclass. So we'll give you a lot of information walking you through that process. And then we're going to give people discounts. I just developed a line of supplements with allergy research targeting Lyme and tick-borne illness. We'll give people discounts on that. People will get a free copy of my book. So if anyone's interested, I just invite you to go to my website. It's just darreninglesnd.com. And uh, if you sign up on our email list, we'll send out a note when we're ready to start enrolling people in the program. But we're looking to launch it towards the end of May. Awesome. Is that kind of an interactive deal where people are going to be able to be interactive with you or with with other participants? Well, uh, it's going to be uh, mostly pre-recorded videos. So you can yeah. That goes from everything from testing to diet to herbs and so forth. Oh, wow. And they'll have access up. We're going to do live Q&A webinars as part of the deal. So anyone who signs up will get an opportunity to sit down with me, answer questions, and uh, we'll go through that as well. That is awesome. So you guys need to jump on that. If you're definitely, if you're, if you got Lyme disease or know someone who does, it sounds like a, a great resource. And I'm sure that you put a lot of time and effort in just like your book. I mean, the book, I really, the book was phenomenal and just a great guide for people. Because, you know, at Lyme disease, as you know, it's like it, it can be a lonely road. You know, it, it, a lot of people feel like they're on their own or they're not being heard or not being listened to. So to have those resources is just so essential. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, I always love to end with a health tip that our listeners can implement to help them, you know, optimize their health and take it to the next level. What would be a one health tip that our listeners could uh, put into play today to help them be better tomorrow? Well, uh, my tip isn't, I guess, a specific tip, but one thing I think is that, you know, particularly if you've been chronically ill, it, it seems like life gets to be very complicated and everything feels complicated. You know, keep keep it simple. Think about all the simple things you can do every day to improve your health. And that could be drinking more water. That could be getting to bed on time. That could be taking a daily walk. There's so many simple, free, easy things we can do that have such a big impact on our health. Sometimes we feel like we have to do expensive things and complicated things, and it really doesn't have to be that way. There's just, again, so many easy things. You can choose to put good food in your mouth. You can choose to be mindful and do meditation and things like that. So, you know, start thinking about this low-hanging fruit that's in your life that's easy to accomplish and set, you know, these small goals. I know we set these very large goals. I want all my symptoms hundred percent to go away. We want that for everybody, but start setting small goals for yourself that are achievable. It's, it's kind of like, I think of like an investment, you know, if you put, you know, a dollar away every day from the time you're born to the time you're, I think even 30, you know, you're a millionaire, that little investment every day pays large dividends. So think about your health that way. That little investment every day makes a big difference. 
That's great advice. And th that's what we see right in the clinic. I mean, those that low hanging fruit, those those basic changes are what have the biggest impact in the long run and anybody can do it. Absolutely. Well, this has been absolutely phenomenal. I appreciate your time more than you know. And, you know, I just hope to uh, again, have you on in, I, in the future and we can chat about something else. But thank you so much, Darren. And I just look forward to the next conversation. All right. Thanks, Seth.